This episode is part of our ongoing series with NI Connections, where each month we have the chance to sit down with someone interesting from Northern Ireland who's living and working overseas. To find out more about our global diaspora, listen to previous episodes in the series and sign up for a free monthly newsletter. Please visit niconnections.com. Thanks so much and really hope you enjoy today's conversation. A place we usually start off with just as like a bit of a jumping off point. We'll play a little bit of Hero's Journey and then we'll talk shop for a little bit because I'm really interested in, in your new business. But what's some of the first things that you can remember? Like if you cast your mind back, like those early sort of things that start popping up in your head, like could you share one of them with us just as a way to get going? Um, well, I remember the beach. Um, obviously, I mean, I grew up in Bangor. You know, the coast was always important in our lives, wasn't it? And um, and then just when you, you know, you're asking what triggers I have, and that's what it is, sand and um, mm. sun and water. <laughs> Yeah. So as an islander, you know, as islanders, we probably have that as a innate thing in 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 all of us, don't we? What was what what sort of stuff would you've got up to as a boy? So, uh, well, I was um, third of four boys, and so we did a lot of um, sport and rough and tumble and stuff like that always. But also things like, I mean, I think conveniently, um, our dad was. redoing the back garden when we were kids and so that was fantastic uh sort of uh territory for toy soldiers and things you know <laughs> like sand and um you know um unwet concrete sometimes wet concrete um you know um grit all sorts of landscapes for battles you know so that was yeah good. yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> um and in fact they actually built the a main road out the back of our house uh it used to be a field when we were very small or when i was very small and I do remember uh, when they were build, making the roads uh, at the back, we had muck fights, you know, from all the mounds of earth that the guys had dug up. So it was fantastic. And it was just like nice. it was somebody was preparing us, you know, for battle and, uh, and uh, you know, collaboration and um, betrayal. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So very earthy, very outdoorsy, very like what we all kind of have in our heads when we would like childhood to be like even for you know the next generation where did technology come into the picture for you and obviously you know what is technology like a hammer is a piece of technology but i'm talking specifically digital here and and how did that kind of love in your life start to develop well so it's a funny one because actually you can you could probably draw a straight line from when i was very young to 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 today where um you know, I had a brother, older brother who was more into the coding side and they sort of go and spend hours with a, with a neighborhood friend, you know, typing in code to make a game, you know, stuff like that. And funny, I, that never, I love playing the game, mm. but I didn't like the input and understanding that how it was structured. So that's probably quite telling and quite funny for a lot of my colleagues because I like to play it um, and I like to invent what happens visually but never liked the nuts and bolts of how to make it. So I suppose that was the first piece. And we we did have, um, I'm not going to show you my age and, and talk about the, <laughs> the home computers that we did have, but we did have, if we were kind of cool that way, we had the latest thing, you know, whether it was an Atari ST or whatever. Nice. Um, so we were always playing a lot of computer games early on. And um, 
yeah, I love that side of things. I, I didn't like the idea of having to code to mit to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and actually, my thing was more um, writing, which is funny because it, you know could have been writing code, but it didn't. I didn't get how creative that actually is mm-hmm. uh, and powerful until much later. But um, certainly, the idea that I um, could create a story uh, on a page was just phenomenal. Were you a reader? Did you watch? So, Where did you feel the story engine? I suppose is what I'm asking. So this is a this is a very good question and line of questioning. Um, I I'm so I'm an English graduate, right? And I am the worst reader on the planet. I I don't think I've ever really finished a book. Um, and so things like Blinkist for me are brilliant. We just listen or audibles, you know, I can just listen to books. But um, I was a watcher, definitely a watcher. Mm. Um, I, 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 actually, that's a crucial aspect of my character, I think, because I, I got frustrated with only being able to write something. I couldn't draw, unfortunately. So I was writing stories. Um, but needed a way to visualize and you know, bring those to life. So it was definitely a watcher, not a reader, and not a coder. Awesome. So tell us maybe, and this could be a dead end if it is, just tell me, like any sort of like early personal projects of where you really started to kind of like do the early reps of storytelling in the visual format, like turning scripts into short films, anything like that? So... Look, I was really, really young when I started. I think I started drawing like Dungeons and Dragons style storyboards, is what you would call them now. <laughs> you know, there were yeah, square yeah. boxes, there were comic strips um, with writing or whatever I called six-year-old, eight-year-old writing. Um, so mixing the mixing the narrative for the visual was early, early stuff. And I'm talking, I'm talking like six, seven, eight years old. Um, and then I remember being on holiday in Menorca at my um, our, our granny's house, and um, the guys were you know we'd, we'd go into the beach and we'd play outside the house and all that usual stuff. But I do remember I think it was on a typewriter. Um, I started using typewriters really young, um, and um, I I was I was writing a story about. It was a fantasy book, basically. I was doing a fantasy book. I must have been seriously nine years old, ten. <laughs> it was ridiculous. What a geek! And um, you know, and then I do remember again when I was eleven, twelve, writing a book about a treehouse gang, which I must have seen something on TV about a treehouse gang and thought that was cool. So I started writing a story about that. Awesome. So let's fast travel a wee bit then. You kind of let slip. You're an English graduate. I didn't know that. That's fun. I'm also an English graduate. Uh, How did you go from the end of your studies where for English students, stereotypically looks somewhat limiting? It's like, okay, so you're going to become a teacher or are you going to just get absolved into some kind of big four company and do like HR or something random? Where did you or how did you pursue or get on the the professional ladder that you're on now or path sorry i hit the word ladder <laughs> no that's fine it, it was a yeah, it was a bit of a mountain <laughs> you had to use all limbs but um yeah i remember um i graduated and we got all the pump uh you know the, the sort of keynote guy that comes and tells you how wonderful you are and and I remember signing on the next day and going for a job interview with Waterstones, 
mm. um, part time in Belfast, and I, uh, you know, I I did really well in my degree, and was told you know we were brilliant, and then couldn't I was I couldn't get the job. I didn't get the job in Waterstones part time, wow. and I was on the dole. <laughs> So, you know, for the first <laughs> time, it was like, geez, this is okay. Is this what it's like? But what was happening, I mean, there's, a, to be fair to Waterstones, there was, there's a caveat. I was busy telling them in my interview that I was setting up my own company, <laughs> my own production company, and we were doing, and they were like, right, so you're not going to be with us much? No, 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 I'll come in when I can. And I thought oh, that was no. <laughs> so that's why I didn't get the job <laughs> so me and a friend, um, everyone everyone from Ireland needs a friend called Mickey Murphy, right? Yeah, so 100%. me and my friend it comes to the territory. So Mickey Murphy and I, he was a musician, and and, and he, uh, him and I, when we were at Queens, we started running gigs. We started running gigs in even the Duke of York, which is still going strong, and um, uh, Arcadia Cafe, which used to be a North Street arcade. It was wonderful uh, arcade until it until the fire started at both ends. But that's a that's a, a, another podcast. Um, and uh, so we used to run acoustic gigs, like unplugged gigs, called Arcadia Sessions uh, in our in our free time. I used to film everything to answer your question. Um, uh, I used to film everything that moved. I mean, I've got four events. I mean, he still four. He keeps every time we talk, like, we text or something, like once a year maybe. Um, and uh, every every time we sort of tail off the conversation, it's like, do you have that footage? Have you <laughs> that? Like, no, not yet, mate. But um, I have, yeah, I've, I've got some brilliant um, artists from Northern Ireland uh, who were uh, typically a lot of heavy metal people who played really loud, angry stuff. They were the best unplugged because they were artists. They were crafters on the guitar. You know, they're beautiful. Yeah. So anyway, we did that and um, we set up our own little company and we we actually did that. So I graduated from English, but I actually was already on a path where I'm going to, I know I'm not going to be a teacher and I don't want to be a journalist. I don't want to work for an ad company mm. or whatever and spent a year messing things up, <laughs> absolutely messing things up. We were doing uh, EPKs like for bands and artists and stuff we were basically constantly in the light the limelight was our office basically KDD. that was what an EPK is an EPK uh, electronic press kit so it's basically we were doing music videos for bands with DVDs uh, photo shoots Lovely. all the stuff they'd need to build their little brand up and we we're charging them a few quid but someone said to me um, something he said you guys are brilliant you know why and this is when we were down on our luck, maybe having our last pint with our last two <laughs> pounds that week. And um, you guys are brilliant. You've identified a massive gap in the market. You know, all these creators and creative people and brilliant people, they don't have exposure and they don't have the wherewithal to tell stories about themselves and build their... Um, but there's a problem with that. And I was like, well, what's the problem with identifying, you know, a brilliant market? There's no weapon money in it. <laughs> that's, why that's why it's identifiable. You see what I mean? Absolutely. So um, yeah, well, like what you've got no. There's not like ten competitors in that niche, and that alone might tell you something. Yeah. So we, I, I think we, we made. Uh, I might be 
um, hammering this up. We, we made about 80 grand or something, but we spent about 120 grand, you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we used to, we used to have, like hire the best sound men. We used to, do you know what I mean? We tried yeah. to offer, um, we even went to the network. I don't know if the network club still exists, but it was heavy, heavy stuff. You didn't go to the network unless you, you know. And uh, we actually went into them and uh, said, we'd like to put on like a proper rock gig and with poetry and artists and, and um, like DJs and stuff. And that had never been done in Belfast. It was all just indie bands or, yeah, yeah. or you'd have hard house over there. You'd, you'd have, you know, raves and stuff. But we went to the hardest sort of um, hardest nightclub in, in Belfast and said, can we, do, can we be artistic in your venue? Brilliant the first time, but it rained the second time. No one uh, came. Raging. Lost fortunes. That's terrible. Have difficult conversations with very scary people. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so yeah. your your first year kind of, you know, successfully bombs in that paradoxical way that a lot of first years do. That's kind of your prerogative, I feel like, in your first year. It's break as many things as possible and then, you know, it'll hopefully reveal the path. What was revealed after that first year? I guess I'm asking what happened next. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what happened next. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, what happened next? And so there's a bunch of people, and I'm kind of kind of shouting them out and calling them out. There's a bunch of people at that time. We were all we all used to run around Kita Daly's Limelight and so on. There was a wee bit of a hub around there um, on a Friday night, Friday after work. People would come together there. Um, all the you know creative geniuses of of the city, let's say, or or wannabes anyway, and. Um, so I ended up working um, with Richard Dale, Marty Neal, um, Daryl and Glenn Campbell, Chris Allen, so a whole bunch of people in a sort of web development company. And we were, you know, so all those guys have gone on and they're brilliant people. They've achieved so much um, in business and in life uh, since then. It was almost like, I was thinking about this the other day, it was almost like a sort of Belfast brat pack. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I was the stupidest one for sure. I was learning about you know tech stuff all the time, but my passion was doing video. So what happened? What that did was because I was surrounded by developers and designers and um, people who knew about networks and, and bandwidth and all that stuff. I was able to actually learn about streaming and interactive. Um, started I, I did a wee bit of code, interactive code even back then. You're proud. Um, able to learn about short form about um about compression ratios about um whether you know in those days you actually have to make editorial decisions whether someone could see or hear it better not like today you know and i remember this is how how bad we're talking i remember when they introduced firewire cables and you might not even know what firewire cable is because it's so far beyond now you know with sd cards and all this stuff Firewire cable was like the single cable that you needed for your camera to your computer. Wow. For your videos. And I was like, wow, I don't have to plug in all this stuff. <laughs> you know? um, and, you know, I learned how to build editing machines and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that really it was, so we were doing, because there was very few web companies in Belfast, we were doing everything that was cool. Sure. Did all the Weimark stuff, the Budweiser stuff, the, the, you know, I was writing the Daily Swamp every day for a campaign for, for I had Robert De Niro. Written. I mean, there was no copyright stuff. There was, but it was <laughs> everywhere. Honestly, I, you know, um, we had 
the best fun. A lot of stuff around music. A lot of I owned uh, nifilms.com. I used to encode all the short films from Northern Ireland. Nice. And put them up on this platform. So that was the next thing. Learning about uh, internet, uh, you know, interwebnet, and uh, how that all worked in terms of creative content. Cool. Uh, Choose your own adventure. Okay, I I kind of feel pulled in two directions here. I'd love to talk about social media your early exposure with it and kind of take us down a rabbit hole to where we are today with your opinions and your ideas. Or you can talk about Fermana TV. We'll probably circle back to social media anyway. Yeah, well, I'll, I mean, Fermana TV is very, very precious to me and um, still remains one of, I think, one of the most innovative media projects around. Um, so basically, again, working with brilliant people that's all, all it is it seems, seems like i just chase the brilliant people <laughs> hang on for dear life no um so trevor bernie is a is a brilliant uh, i think a definitely i mean a multi-award winning international uh, documentary maker and investigative journalist um and anyway so he was wanting to do a thing because he's from fermanagh um he was wanting to do a thing like a hyper-local news platform, so an extension of the local newspaper. And this was at a time where um, local newspapers certainly were really in trouble because every, everything was, you know, internet-based now and the ad revenue was you know, coming from Google and stuff, not the newspapers. Um, so they were dying. That whole industry was dying. The corner, you know, that sort of pillar of society. Um, everyone wants their local newspaper to do well and, you know, uh, anyway, um, and at that time, some big dailies started to close in America, like huge, huge newspapers. So it was a it was a global problem. Wow. And um, and anyway, so I I met with Trevor and he's uh, he showed me what he had for a thing called Fermanagh TV, and I was like, this is a website with videos on it. This isn't a media platform. So we rewired it, redesigned it, uh, re-engineered it. And long story short, we went live and we had, we, we, we learned brilliant things. Um, there were uh, huge spikes, global uh, di- Irish diaspora things going on where we'd have millions of views or hundreds of thousands at least on certain uh, news items. And it proved the point because it extended the really good work of the local journalists. Mm-hmm. So they would interview the mother of the kid who was k- killed in a drink driving thing in a double spread in the newspaper. But then our guys were interviewing her as well on video. Yeah. So then we would have all the, you know, the eyeball moments and the tear, you know. And when when anything um, happened in Fermanagh that was newsworthy, where the BBC, UTV would send a crew for like, to do a 30 second piece, we had the neighbor, the neighbor's neighbor, the neighbor's dog, <laughs> the, the son and daughters. The, the, you know what I mean? We extended yeah, yeah. these stories out and that worked and it worked globally. So that was, I mean, the guys, um, I mean, that's launched a few careers as well for the young journalists. Um, and so they won multiple awards around journalism and innovation and stuff like that. So that was really, really world-class. Wow. So I have a real soft spot for that. And actually that led indirectly to where I went next and that just sent me through the roof really oh well then you've you've teed yourself up let's go what happened next <laughs> <laughs> um 
Yeah, I'll just take over from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, can I go and get a glass of water? Yeah, okay. sure. Go meet your mate for coffee. I'll be, I'll be back. Uh, you can come back. No. Um, so basically, then Trevor's company was, was bought by Ten Alps PLC, which was Bob Geldof's big media group, um, because of the brilliant work they were doing in investigative journalism and you know brilliant documentaries and things. Um, and actually, again, this sounds like a piggyback story. I've just piggybacked off brilliant people, haven't I? Um, and then basically by by association, I came under their radar as well um, because for, for what I was doing in digital media and, and social media and, and, and engagement and multi-million views of this and that and the other. What they were trying in England to do very expensively um, what I was doing for peanuts. <laughs> uh, basically so that's what happened yeah uh, my little startup i generation um which had only three or four projects we worked in um, greece doing uh e-learning interactive media e-commerce platform in greek right <laughs> uh, yeah yeah um we did a we worked on a online give it visualization of donations project with the brilliant uh, Olivia Cosgrove um, and one or two others including from Anna TV and then that was it it was like right you're, you're part of this big group now I was like whoa so that's when I learnt all the hard hard stuff about oh really business. oh yes <laughs> what was the hardest the hardest was um, well so basically, I was parachuted into a business. So I had my Belfast business, and that was safe. And I think, you know, nine out of 10 people would stay in that safety net and that comfort zone and, you know, dine out on the fact that they were a director of a big media PLC and Geldof, 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 who, who realistically didn't have much to do with the business. Um, but no, I saw that as a challenge where they said, look, Newcastle has a, has a production company that's brilliant, but it's really struggling financially. Um, and they were thinking of closing it. And there was like 30 odd staff and stuff. Um, I think by the time I got there, it was 17 or so. So taking over a, a running business that had beautiful product, great yeah. kids, great talent, but rudderless. And the, and the guys wanted to, you know, the guys who founded it wanted to do their earn out and, and head off into the sunset. Sunset. So that was a real challenge. They were going to close it, and they were saying to me, "Show us that we shouldn't close it." Wow. And that's a PLC. In a PLC, we could have been making clothes hangers. That's that was a really early hard lesson. It was like they didn't actually care. Mm. They just wanted the spreadsheet at the end of the month. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, yeah, there's there's no there's no artistry in it. You know, there's no love of the craft. It's decimal points. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. We could have been doing anything at all. And it was just, what are your numbers? What's your billing? You know, blah, blah, blah. All the projection and, and, and the trajectory of your business. Um, yeah, so that was next. And um, But that, I mean, goodness me, they had like English FA as clients, Nike, Lego, uh, British Gas, all major brands you could think of um, were now my clients. <laughs> and lots of them remained. <laughs> For the next decade. So. Tell us about some of the the kind of the key lessons or the key experiences that led to. I know we're literally skipping chunks of your life here, but I, I want to get to play human. So, yeah. talk to me about the stepping stones that have led to 
this latest vision and venture? So if you think, if you track certainly what, what I have um, bounced between, it's been learning a lot about uh, the interwebnet, as I mm-hmm. call it. Right. Learning a lot about technology, learning a lot about software. Uh, I mean, deep, sophisticated software systems, not just, you know, popcorn stuff. Um, a lot of hard yards and learning in marketing and achievements in marketing with, the, you know, when social became prominent and so on and understanding how algorithms work and all that kind of thing. And then applying that to the innate natural thing of being a creative person. So if you marry those three things together, um, you've, you've actually arrived in 2022 because you know? <laughs> that's what all, you know, that's what someone, that's what brand media brands or, or any brand is the point. And they all need to be creative, technical and marketing based and, mm. and play at the apex of that. But what do you, what you don't typically have, you typically have siloed career journeys of uh, paths for people. So they're either technical, they're either marketers or other, or, or they're producers of some uh, sort. And for good or bad, I actually probably have an equal experience and um, expertise in each of them. So, which is frustrating when you describe, <laughs> you, know, you have to describe what you do. Oh, well, I'm an exact producer. I'm a it's like, have you ever heard of the Trinity? <laughs> yeah, it's like this thing. Um, so, yeah, the Holy Trinity. But um, so, yeah, so look, I was running um, Nevada Studios. And we had a brilliant team and we're working all over the world. We're working in China and North America, all over East Coast, West Coast. We uh, worked out of London, basically, but we were dispersed up north and in Northern Ireland and all this kind of thing. And um, But we could work anywhere. That was one of the takeaways from my, my, my first move to England. Um, you can actually work anywhere and that's increasing. And what happened was before lockdown, we were... We were, we were working with discovery uh, networks and we were asked, we were commissioned to do two series. And of course we weren't a traditional linear production company. Yeah. And that, but we did have the capabilities to deliver that. And that's the problem. Um, we had the capabilities and skills to deliver two mid form series that were like 24 episode, brilliant stuff, you know, uh, which are now on Prime and Discovery Plus and all that kind of thing, Class. and they're sold globally. But it killed the business. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. It was basically, you want them in wee bags as well? <laughs> all the parts and all? Oh, God, normally we just like cut stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, you yeah. know, a million views later. But no, this this was like, you know, sign-off sheets everywhere and you can't move unless you do. And if the sun, thing, and can you get the presenter to cover her, her collarbone? You know, this was well, serious yeah, mainstream yeah, yeah. production. And we ended up having um, loads of staff and loads of people doing one part of the process. Mm. So all that was, you know, interesting. We were a digital company. We weren't a bro- uh, we weren't a production company in that sense. So um, we did that, delivered it, um, didn't breathe for two years nearly, um, and then that just look a couple of other things happened um, in lockdown, like, like for everybody else. And I just pivoted to play human. Mm-hmm. And play human was my always my passion from the boy who was writing stories 
to the boy wide-eyed was running around London uh, thinking why am I here um, to the boy who ran, you know held on to the coattails of other people who were brilliant um, <clears throat> play human was my dream and it was it, it, it was my dream it, it, it's a manifestation of everything I've been trying yeah. to do yeah. basically without getting emotional about it no um, totally and the idea is to make to to transform an entire industry that's all it's <laughs> <laughs> still hanging fruit really easy <laughs> yeah it's easy you know you basically have this <clears throat> media world where they're still I mean I when I'm on stage I say you know Netflix Sony Pictures you know uh, I was you're f- two steps behind the curve they're not two steps behind the curve they're bloody four or five now you know um, the idea that of metaverse the idea of NFT the idea of post-social they have no idea what that even means yeah you know yeah so the idea it, it, that it's kind of a little bit like perhaps what the newspaper companies were it's kind of happening again and everyone thinks oh this world's going to stay forever like this is it like this is mainstream this is it it's eternal it's everlasting everyone's going to just <laughs> you know netflix and, and disney plus subscription our way into like infinity and your kind of opinion based on speaking to you is that we are just at the cliff edge of another massive shift so there's a reason why my company's called play human group um it's about being human and staying damn human and and but playing in the process the idea that um you know your favorite tv show your favorite artist your favorite band your favorite creator you don't want to just watch and listen anymore you want to take part so with social, it's like, oh, you, you can build communities around your favorite artist, blah, blah, blah. But you still don't have access to that person. You don't feel close to that. Yeah. You know, you can slide into my DMs. Their DMs aren't controlled by them. They're controlled by an agency. Yeah. You know, you're not talking to Taylor Swift. You're not talking to, you know. Yeah. Um, so the idea that you can have, uh, you can turn the phrase I, I use, every day is basically turning passive to active okay turning passive fans who just you know watch and consume blah, 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 you know um into active participants mm. in a story that is for me that's a dream come true you know that you know the kids that used to sing with a hairbrush and, <laughs> and played in rock and roll bands at school whatever uh, or, or or dreamed of djing you know to to hundred thousand people they can be part of that narrative and, and that's a two-way thing and i can't think of anything more democratic digitally democratic than that mm. and that actually speaks to the heart of any type of human future we've gone very deep now oh wait we're in it we're, we're swimming i love it existence depends on this <laughs> no, <laughs> the idea and also you know if you know, you can pull me back from the abyss if you want, but um, it's really important. It's really important that we work out ways to utilize. It's only technology. It's only mm-hmm. made by humans. And it's really important that we use that to empower being human, not to be something else. Do you know what I mean? Well, I, so what currently the trajectory is that technology in the hands of 
I'm not I'm not even the individuals. It's just these massive life forms in the forms of corporations. They are they're turning humans into commodities rather than allowing them to become more human. You know, and we don't need to do the whole social dilemma bit here, but you know, it is it is happening. It's been happening for years. That's yeah. the point. It's been happening for years, and and people and, and the majority, not the majority even, but enough people now are starting to understand what social networks were all about. In the first, we gave them all the data. We gave yeah. them all the information. Who you were with at lunchtime? Oh, and now they know more. Um, AI stuff is even scarier, and again, you don't have to go down that road. But uh, you know, if you want to focus the point on on being human, we are already um, digital humans, and it's very, very scary. Okay, um, the idea that let's use controversially use the word um, non-binary. We're all non-binary in the sense that we're not damn computers, right? Mm-hmm. We're yeah. not zeros and ones. But yet we act, we're starting more and more, you know, I love you or I hate you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I follow that team or I hate that team or I, yeah. do you see what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. I love Kanye West or I love Taylor Swift. There's no room for both. Yeah, <laughs> and actually, actually living in the grey is called being human. Yeah. Where you have, oh, well, maybe I need to educate myself more about Kanye West. And maybe he's not an idiot the way everyone in my feed is telling me he is. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe he's actually, you know, a modern day prophet. You know, we don't know. Who knows? I mean, I know he thinks he is, but, but <laughs> the point is, maybe he's right. You know? <laughs> maybe these people that we say, why are they so arrogant? Well, dig into it a wee bit and find yeah. out what they're actually talking about and where it's coming from. That's called being human. Mm-hmm. But we don't do that, you know, and we just protest about everything now behind the safety of our little keyboards, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? You've offended me. Well, stop being offended. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yep. a strange place to drop this in, but why well, do you work out alone every day? Oh, jeez, oh, that's a great one. Because look, look what happened there. I've just oh, brought back. Um, you're too, you're too aware. It's dangerous. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, that's they're like, brilliant. whoa. Do you notice my body language? I'm like, dude, this guy's too, too attuned. Um. So it's to do with, um, well, I'm actually a loner, right? And I enjoy being on my own or not necessarily, sometimes I don't enjoy myself, but um, yeah, I I don't mind being alone and I've spent a long time alone, uh, even in my uh, career, you know, I've traveled. There was one quick soundbite for you, which is, I remember uh, Wendy, my operations director, um, she was sitting going through all the hotels and all the stuff that we were claiming back, you know, vats that. And she goes, you know, you stayed in hotels 97 nights this year. Wow. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't stay with friends and family. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was on my own, you know, and it's, you know, it could be somewhere nice in America or, or, or you know, we went to China, we went to Scandinavia all the time. Um, but most of the time it was some dump outside Wembley or, you know, some, I don't know, cheap hotel somewhere. And, um, you know what? So that solitude is something important. Um, and you either sink or swim, don't you? Yeah. You know, you have to, what is it, the phrase? You have to enjoy the person in your, you know, you have to 
I'm butchering this really profound quote, but it's something <laughs> around um, you have to like the person that's in your head type of thing. Yeah, that's true. Um, you have to be at peace with that person. So I spent a lot, a lot of time on my own and, and training is part of that. And it's, um, we've always trained in my family or played sport or whatever, always active. And I think so. we've always, um, well, for me anyway, always clears your mind, always keeps you balanced. Yeah. More, more pain, the better in a sort of sadistic way. Um, pushing harder, um, uh, competing against yourself. Yeah. You know? For sure. So it's, that's the challenge. And I think so that solitude and, um, cause you're never, you're never big. You're never strong as you want to be. You're never pumped as you want. You're never as, um, aerobically or, um, as healthy as you want to be. So there's always room. Yeah. And that's, that's a great journey point. You know what I mean? Yeah. The pursuit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And people think, Oh, you know, I want to be this, I want to be that. No, you don't. You want to get on the road. You want to do the journey, <laughs> you know, and keep tweaking and keep, you know, anyone plays sport, golf, for example, yeah. you can never be the, the golfer you want to be. You can never be the athlete you want to be. You're always, yeah, you know, and that's perfect. Isn't that perfect? It is. It's, you know, it's the cliche, but like it is the journey, you know, because we, you know, you have been, you and I have been at various destination points in life, personal and professional, Mm-hmm. And you get there, and you're like, "Great!" <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, well, cool. Yeah, I mean, actually, there's some of the some of the best things I've ever achieved is nearly getting somewhere. Mm, <laughs> that's so you know, good. I actually think that. Well, if I had got if I had got over the line on a couple of the things that I was trying to do, then you'd be like you'd be sucked into this vacuum of dining out on your success or, or getting into something else where you don't have the freedom to feel. And you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the things that, you know, nearly getting a deal done for a feature film with, with YouTubers in it, you know, for the first time ever on the planet, you know, and the story, I won't, I can't legally, I can't tell you why it didn't happen, but you know, um, you're going, Oh my God, you know, we nearly made a feature film from a piece of paper mm. in a boardroom, you know, a yeah. chat, um, nearly achieving stuff in media, marketing, tech, innovation. We broke Twitter one night, for example, one of our things, you know, one of our campaigns, we actually broke Twitter. Class. Um, and I was traveling through Europe. I was in Copenhagen airport and my phone was blowing up. And I was like, what the hell? And normally it was like, oh, client's not happy with something. <laughs> what? what? What do I have to firefight? But it wasn't. It was, we need to expand, 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 expand the fire hose. Because millions of people were getting involved in our thing. Crazy. <laughs> anyway. What's the, this is a stock question. I'll drop it in here. What's been the biggest challenge so far? How did you get through it? What did you learn from it? Go whatever we want. Professional, personal, dealer's choice. It should normally be an, an easy one. I think uh, the lockdown pivot was difficult. Mm. Really, really difficult. Because I had to let a lot of things go. Yeah. On people. Sure. You know? 
and um, the, and, uh, and revolutionize the model so that you can actually, so you have to make those tough decisions to be able to have the freedom to grow the way you need to grow. Whereas I think we were stuck in a, we were stuck, a lot of businesses, most businesses are stuck in some sort of traction. And like those businesses, we were stuck in this thing, and I've told you about you know, this, the Discovery Channel stuff, which stopped our innovation, stopped our you know crazy achievement in marketing and engagement, and turned us into a production company that we weren't. Yeah. Um, so all that stuff, and then lockdown, and, and, and all the personal things that happened, whatever, um, for a lot of people in that period just makes you rethink everything doesn't it yeah and uh, and the flips i mean the good side of the good point of that is it allowed you to think that you could achieve things in a far different way um so i'll give you you know an upside point of of that process is um i now work with my cto and colleague is one of my best friends and he is the best techie i've ever met in my life and awesome. for over a decade we were saying how are we going to work together you're in the states i'm over here in the uk you know and i brought him to digital dna a couple of years ago and i actually did a fireside chat interview with him which was brilliant you know it was like us talking in the pub but <laughs> hundreds of people got to see that and yeah. see what i see in that guy so um yeah being able to work anywhere in the world and not feel bad about it or cheeky about it it's yeah. one of the upsides but yeah the, the, the hardest bit was basically going now i'm gonna re i'm gonna pivot my business and there'll be casualties mm. you know there'll be casualties who have been loyal or casualties who i've known for years to be um you know i can't be that person for you anymore yeah professionally you know stuff so that tough was call difficult. really tough call it's, it's tough because it's human stuff and yeah. and, and Sometimes you have to go, well, you know what? I I think you'll do better if I'm happier. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? If I'm doing what I I'm driven to do, then if you're you're lucky I was gonna say lucky enough to be in the in the room. I, I mean if you're in the room, then I'm gonna be the best for you that I can. You know, sure. whether it's a young person mentoring them or something. Um, but if I'm in a, if you're in the room with me and I'm not happy with where we are, you're mm. not going to learn anything. Yeah, for you're sure. You're going to learn bad stuff. Yeah. You see what I mean? hundred percent. And it's kind of what you're saying. It's not that there's a lack of work out there, you know, like you, there's opportunities of abundance for you guys, you know, you, and you could be 10 different businesses, but as the discovery channel example kind of proves, you can do that and be miserable. <laughs> you can, and also, I mean, people, I have conversations almost every day with people who are still in a mindset where, you know, the larger, let's say household media brands, for example, um, it's like, that's the aspiration. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and listen, I talk to Disney, I talk to Universal Music, I talk to BBC and whatever, whatever. Um, and you know what? They're large. Google is another example. Um, they are huge, um, huge organizations with thousands of people. That's heavily, heavily structured. 
Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you can't get shit done. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get a decision because it has to go up and up and up and up and up. You know what I mean? So, actually, innovation and um, and world changing stuff doesn't come from those big tar blocks, which you might as well be in a civil service building. Yeah. Right, you know, it's just floor after floor after floor with people with clip. Uh, I was gonna say clipboards <laughs> and with iPads, Dig- digital clipboards, <laughs> digital clipboards. It's really cool. You should get, you should get one um, with spreadsheets on them. That's what they, they're clearing houses, you know. Yeah. And I actually asked someone in a very very big media organization, where is the creative floor? And it was a genuine. I was like, where's the all the cool stuff you do? Uh, no, no, we, we outsource all that. We outsource our creativity. <laughs> we outsource our creativity. So, so you know, innovation comes from the, the, the small guys who are, you know, the, the, the individuals or the small groups of people who have the absolute freedom mm. to break stuff, you yeah. know, and and then they're bought or they're, their product is bought or their tech is bought or their content is bought. That's where it happens. Yeah. So the aspiration to work with these uh, huge organizations is actually a flawed philosophy. <laughs> it's a flawed yeah. path. Yeah. They'll come to you if you're good enough. Mm-hmm. And it's a lesson. Yeah, I love that book. I think it's called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And it basically, it, it maps out what you just said. You know, you don't go well, banging on their door. You wait till they come banging on your door. Well, we took um, a feature film format to a friend of mine who who was Lucasfilm and you know she had basically marketed she was responsible for all the remarketing and re-engagement of Star Wars, you know, when Star Wars sort of came back as a multi-channel brand. Yeah. Um and uh if I can swear, she she's a lady from uh Glasgow with the roughest, roughest accent ever. Um and she said, Matthew <laughs> Don't bring a fucking feature film to Hollywood. <laughs> and I was like, uh, you know, show us what the future film looks like mm. and we'll fucking chase you down. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, good. So that's where we came up with our ideas. Um, but it's a good, it's a good learning. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's like, don't, don't bring Netflix to Netflix. Mm. Show, do, you know, basically build what the future of Netflix is. Yeah, and then kind of dangle it around a little bit, <laughs> you know. And then they go, "Hey, that looks—it's kind of red and charcoaly, and it kind of, <laughs> and it has like thing at the front." Yeah, and it's oh, the code base is actually very similar to. Oh, we should buy these people, you know. And you're like, "Oh, really? Us? Oh, that's nice." You know, I remember all the companies that wanted to be bought by Facebook and they were all blue and white and, mm. you know, stuff. So, yeah, you have to basically do your own thing and um, wait for them to call yeah. and, and, and negotiate from a position of strength. Yeah, cool. I kind of want to, we're starting to land the plane here before we launch into kind of like the final questions that we end every show with. I would just love to set a wee bit of, a couple of minutes aside for you to tell us about the post-social world, you're the first person I've ever met who has used that phrase. It excites me tremendously because I am, a, I'm going to say, a strong advocate against social media, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. what is the post-social media world? What does it look like? And why should we be excited to live there? 
So there have been a, a couple of amazing, um, let's say, digital thought leaders, uh, uh, TED speakers and so on, who have predicted all sorts of apocalyptic digital world things. And they base it on the idea that we had a choice 20 years ago to to go after the virtues of digital democracy and all people had for the first time ever in history or in civilization had access to all information, which is the definition of democracy. But then we also championed um, entrepreneurship, yeah. e-commerce, you know, um, Bezos, this sort of thing. Um, and what happened was it tipped. Sorry, I keep hitting it. Um, <laughs> Dramatic effect. I like it. <laughs> it tipped. Ah. Uh, <laughs> it, does that hurt you? No, I don't know. Uh, I'm it, thinking to the listener. I'm like, they're hopefully they're not like rearing into traffic. <laughs> <laughs> What happened is it tipped and the world <laughs> fell apart. No, um, so basically we went that path, you know. Um, we went that path of, of, of celebrating entrepreneurship and commercialization of this new technology called social media. Um, uh, sorry, uh, uh, called the internet. And then social media was a way to capture all the data. So it wasn't about giving people information. It was about taking it. Yeah. And that's as high level of thought as you could summarize social media with. And um, so if you if you become the capital and your data becomes the capital, where do you go from there? You yeah. know? And and the crucial thing is, is there a correction? So we're not gonna go social dilemma about this, but they they raised the points about that. Um, and how do you draw back? from an infrastructure in your life, it's like water from a tap. Mm. When you're six years old, you've got the phone in your hand and that's life. That's called being alive. Yeah. So you've got to actually reverse engineer that mindset, culture and technology. But you can't, you know, you can work on mindset and culture. And, um, humans are humans and actually given all it's ridiculous. It's like we were given social media and now we're trying to convince people to give us it back. We're going to throw it in the bin. Wasn't a good idea. Yeah. No, 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 don't, don't. Yeah. But I have to, uh, Karen's talking on Facebook. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, or I want to create a video about this TikTok thing. Um, so what has to happen and whether we achieve that or not, that's the goal. That's that, that's the holy grail. But um, there are there is a series of corrections that can be made. Okay, there are new technologies, always new technology, and new spaces, and new end destinations. So metaverse and all that sort of stuff we'll talk about in a second. But that's not really the point today. The point is. I'll use the, the, the generic generic term that's being banded around is decentralization. In other words, getting the F off social, okay? Or And what you do in the first instance is use social networks as the plumbing. Yeah, that, that, that is the plumbing. Um, we can't get rid of it today. It's like, you know, digging up the roads because we're not going to, well, you know, have bike lanes that go in loops. <laughs> you know, you have to, it's a physical manifestation. We need to, 
we need to turn the table and basically say, right, we're going to use uh, Facebook and Instagram and TikTok for marketing to our new, to our new end destination. Mm-hmm. Okay. For our community or our brand or our artists or whatever. And what happens there, we have control over. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, in media, it's, you have control over your content again, because you don't today. You have control over your audience who you pay Facebook $140 million a year, Netflix, to advertise to, right? Imagine living in a world where you have to pay to talk to your own people. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It was like Microsoft gave us software that you bought for 50 bucks a month and then you have to pay 20 bucks every quarter to fix what they'd sold you that didn't work for 50 bucks a month. So anyway, so we'll use, the first step is using, not being used by, Mm -hmm. right? The next step is end destination, a new destination. And again, metaverse is a different thing. It's a, you know, it's a different idea. It's interesting. The idea is fantastic. The infrastructure opportunities are mind blowing and really exciting, but that's not the point today. The point is setting a new path for digital democracy. Um, a fairer eye level two-way engagement and because human beings aren't they're so stupid in one hand give Facebook and um, all socials their information but they'll still go oh maybe I shouldn't have done that you know what I mean? <laughs> sort of think about it later so in the same vein people are pretty vocal on what they want um, and they want to be closer to their favourite bands, artists, communities, they want smaller communities, they want more involvement and more of a voice. Yeah. Karen's marching, I want more of a voice. I've done TikTok death <laughs> now, you know? Um, I've done my stitches and my duets and I want where else can I take over? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think a, a, a more democratic space. And look what's happening with things like Discord and you know, people are coming to me with things that look like glossy magazine interfaces and da 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 Sorry, you're too late. That was back there, mm. right? It's, it's content-led businesses, e- e-commerce businesses, the best fashion labels and stuff are all content-led brands. Ah, oh, lovely content, lovely content. Oh, cool shoes, I'll buy them. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So, well, the next thing is simplification. I mean, look at Discord. People want to just hang on Discord. It doesn't look very pretty. It doesn't, you know blow your mind impact wise but it's a new end destination post social mm. where I feel at home and I feel like I'm with friends yeah do you see what I mean yeah um, now where you take that is that's the thing that you're really asking about post social because it has to you still have to get your dopamine fix you still have to um, be able to communicate and, and do the things that you love that you can do on existing socials so move those into more friendly spaces where you can't be negative. There's an up, there's an idea, there's a correction. Yeah. You cannot be negative. It, it's, it's back to core human values. Yeah, and inside each of these communities, each community can have its own set of guidelines, you know, its own set of rules. It's, it's, a, it's an operating system. And as you say, one of them could be, we don't tolerate negativity in this space. Yeah. Maybe one of them would be, we don't tolerate any talk of politics in this space or yeah. we don't have any talk about religion in this space. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. you can create a culture where like-minded people yeah. could come together and 
in theory, thrive. <laughs> well, well, the other thing, and this is and this uh, this is a great challenge, is actually getting the grey back, mm. right? Because actually, if if you, I mean, what you've just outlined, which I agree with, um, yeah, we'll build these decentralized communities where we're in control and we vote, and it's all very democratic and so on. But is it still a silo? Is it still 500 people who think the same thing, who love Metallica and Britney Spears and, you know, uh, revivals and... Um, That's true. And, I've, I've uh, literally just learned out the definition of an echo chamber. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well done. <laughs> oh, big tech should hire me. No, but, <laughs> well, Facebook are looking, you know, they're struggling. But, so, um, so we've kind of created these silos where... You know, Trump fans only see and meet and engage with Trump fans, and likewise, you know, left left uh, wing extremists, you know, uh, meet with left wing extremists and go, "Yeah, I'm offended. You offended? Yeah, I'm offended. Yeah, three of us are offended. Oh, three thousand of us, three million are offended. Yeah, love you. <laughs> love, what do you mean, love me? I'm not offended. Anyway." Um, so we're creating all these little silos. So it's about how do you how do you wrestle back control of content, community commerce, and create new end destinations without just creating the same damn thing again? Yeah, yeah. You have to actually have a space where it's where it's um, there's some gray in between. Yeah. Some osmosis between the things, you know. And actually, there is an argument, and there has been experimentation on. Um, you should be confront, uh, not confronted. <laughs> Don't confront. Um, you should be exposed to or opened up to, let's say, um, the polar opposite view. Mm. That would be interesting. Yeah, it's not perfect. We're trying to be perfect. We're non-binary. We're not perfect. Yeah. Um. So we can't be zeros and ones. So we can't be zeros and ones. Then we need to have the grey between the communities decentralized communities or the opportunity at least to understand what are those Trump people actually, why do they, what's going on? You know what I mean? Like a town town square or like a water cooler experience where you can kind of brush shoulders with people you wouldn't necessarily choose to set up camp in your echo chamber with. (laughs) So you're recovering, you're backpacking, (laughs) fantastic. Because now you've just reinvented the social world. (laughs) <laughs> you see what you've done there? Yeah. You've actually gone, well, let's build these other set of <laughs> But we can have doors and all. <laughs> let's put wee doors in. A couple of windows window. so they can look out. <laughs> and that's but that's exactly it. And and what you do is um I mean what we're building, playing human, is something that is walled gardens. It is walled gardens, it is silos. Yeah. You know, um fans of that world famous artists can you know get closer and be a two uh, a two way interactive relationship with their favorite artist netflix show stranger things blah 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 right but also if you open if you look through the curtains you can say ah i heard about that thing mm. i want to have a wee look see and you come from the same entry point as your house it's like your estate you know um you come in the same come in your door but you're in the estate and you can see other things going on and yeah, yeah. you've got options to visit visit the neighbors yeah but in between is the gray 
Yeah. I'm going to find out why they support Trump. I'm going to find out why they're fighting in Sri Lanka. I'm going to find out. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, you don't have to stay. You can bring your bottle of wine and your your uh, your lasagna and, and get the <laughs> hell out of there. <laughs> Brilliant, mate. Cool. Well, I think I'm going to switch gears then because... I could talk to you for two hours on the post-social because I think it's very, very, very interesting. But uh, for the sake of some sort of narrative structure, I guess I'll, I'll try to scramble together at the end here. Uh, we always like to ask people if you could take anyone from Northern Ireland, dead or alive, out for a cup of coffee or a pint, who would you take? Where would you take them and why? Jeez. Um, dead or alive from Northern Ireland. So I met George Best briefly when I was a kid as lots of people did. And he was really nice. Okay. And I actually think, I, I mean, I, I would love, I, I don't think we'd go for a drink. Sure. <laughs> that would be a bad thing. But, um, yeah, we kick about with George Bess would be good. Nice. You know, sort of walk and talk. And, um, because, uh, yeah, we, we met him when we were kids at a, a football summer school thing. And uh, he was the best ever. He just really nice guy really friendly and loads of time and he was someone who never blamed himself which is uh, sorry never blamed others for his demise or you know his addictions and things with the way he was and i think that is quintessentially northern irish mm. very very belfast oh it's you know it's my bag you know yeah i did it did it to myself i did you know yeah so that would be wonderful but um, someone else from Northern Ireland. So can I pick someone living now? Yeah, of course. That would be optimistic. <laughs> someone who's alive. And do I have to take them somewhere? Yeah. And do I have to pay them? Or do, I, do they pay you don't have to. You don't have no. to pay them, but you can pay for their drink if you want. <laughs> Rent a friend. Hey, there's a good business. Um, well, I'd actually love to meet up with uh, Foy Vance again. Um, we spent a little bit of time years and years and years ago, like I said, um, and he's from Bangor too and whatever. Um, I'd like to catch up with him and I'd love to go to Fieldy's Bar, which he references in Bangor. Fieldy's Pub in Bangor with Foy Vance would be good fun. Love that, mate. Because he'd end up singing or something. You know, <laughs> get the guitar, right? Just can't help himself. Um, yeah, because I just love his his uh, journey. I think a lot. Of, I think I'm interested with people who leave Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. even to come back. Because when you leave Northern Ireland, I I think we're in such a bubble in Northern Ireland. You know, everything and it's brilliant. It's a great thing and it's a bad thing. Um, we produce. I mean. Per capita, in we have the most creative, or technically gifted, or friendliest people around, and we don't leave. You know, yeah. And and then when you know when we leave, and your eyes are open, and yet you get over the sort of wee boy or wee girl thing of. <gasps> I'm just from Northern Ireland. <laughs> oh my God, there's a big car over there. No. <gasps> um, well, the streets are massive, you know. Um, and you get over that and, and you realize, oh, 
we're actually really well educated. We're mm. really actually pretty grounded compared to other people. We can do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, when you realize that, I think, and then you come home for a pint, it's nice. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? And sure. so that's why I'd love to talk to Foy about what's it like playing in Nashville and what's it like touring around, you know, whatever. And um, yeah. Final question then. This is where we always end. And it's a cliche, but it, it it's tried and tested. If you could go back to say an 18 year old version of Maddie in a time machine or, you know, sit beside him on a plane or whatever it is. What sort of things would you say to him if you had a couple of minutes of his time? I think it's to do with confidence and, um, I think I think we waste a lot of again. I think it's not totally specific to people from Northern Ireland, but I think we have been um, liable to it. I think we worry too much about what people think because you grow up in a place where all the, all the stuff on the news wasn't good, mm-hmm. and um, you think, oh God, they must think we're absolute monsters over here. Um, no. I, it's not really that. It's more just um, on a human level. I think I would just say, don't worry so much. Just give it a lash. Yeah. And don't worry, you know. Um, and I guess one only people close to me know, you know, that I've, I had I I was living with a with Crohn's disease for twenty years. Wow. And um, not anymore. It seems. Um, again, it could be a lifestyle or diet thing, or whatever training. But yeah, I would just say to stop worrying so much mm. about what other people think, you know, and give it just give it everything. I think I, I think I held back. I think we have a, sh- a collective shyness from Northern Ireland, um, because what I actually notice in younger people is a sort of confidence that I don't recognise. It's like meeting someone in Manchester or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do this. Do it. So, yeah, so maybe that's a good thing now, but yeah, 18 year old me um, was pretty shy. But do stupid out, outward things like get an earring or tattoos and dye my hair blonde, but I would worry about it. <laughs> worrying about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I used to walk around Queens with like blonde hair and uh, yeah do these things and then walk into the room and people would go or think they were yeah 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 and then get a complex you know but so I think I would say don't care about what other people think mm. and 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 see it through to the end and not get scared just before your victory. Yeah. I think that's probably it. Awesome, man. Great way to end. Matthew, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it, dude. Pleasure. Unbelievable stuff. Look, thank you so much once again for listening. My name is Matthew Thompson, and we're on a mission to share 350 conversations that celebrate Northern Ireland and the incredible people who call it home. Massive thanks once again to NI Connections for making today's episode possible. And like I said at the top of the show, 
You can find out more about our global diaspora, listen to other conversations in this series, and sign up to their free monthly newsletter by visiting niconnections.com. Other than that, hope you really enjoyed today's episode, and I look forward to catching you again soon.